Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Fiction. Science fiction. Horror, fantasy, crime, LGBT, thriller. You have now entered the House of Mystery. With your hosts, Eric Shapiro, David North Martino, John Copenhaver, and our word on KCB 106.5 FM Los Angeles, 102.3 FM Riverside, and 1050 AM Palm Springs. And joining us all the way from the UK, we've got Professor Craig Jackson. Thank you for being here, Craig. Thank you for having me. Yeah, that's a great question. My background is as an occupational psychologist, and I was very interested in the relationship between the work people do and the impact that it has on their health. And I began looking at the work of law enforcement and uniformed services, and more and more was seeing the fact that spree killing and mass killing was a workplace incident. It would occur at people's workplaces. So there was a, an element of workplace safety and safety uh, promotion, which meant I became interested in how organizations prepare themselves for mass attacks and how they deal with them when they occur. And I've been doing that now for about 10 years. Um, well, if you'd have said that to me three or four years ago, I would have been inclined to agree with you in that you're quite right. Most mass killers did not intend to survive. And of course, we're familiar with the term suicide by cop. And indeed, many mass killers were either killed by law enforcement or did kill themselves. But I would say in the last couple of years, we've seen more and more incidences of mass killers where they have given themselves up and allowed themselves to be captured um, 
with the result, of course, that they have ensuing trials and publicity. And if they are mass killers who believe they have a cause to fight for, whether it's racism or ideology or theology, of course, the publicity of that in trials is very helpful for them. So I would say now that it's about just around 50-50 in terms of mass killers that survive and mass killers that die. Now, when you say that, they usually have some sort of a um, po- political or ideal behind them. Um, I noticed now in Vegas, the one that happened just a few years ago, um, he, they never did find a motive for that, did they? That's correct. The uh, Las Vegas um, attack by Stephen Paddock, that was on the 1st of October 2017, so we've just, we've just gone past the two-year anniversary. Um, no motive was, was found, and, and usually with mass shootings, you find the motive very apparent within the first 48 hours. And in this case, and still to this point, um, the FBI and, and Nevada um, authorities admitted that they could not find a motive. Um, it wasn't ideology, it wasn't hatred. He, he didn't fit the typical profile of most mass killers anyway. Paddock, he was quite different. But you're quite right, in the end, they determined that he was probably doing it for notoriety and perhaps he'd thought about a nihilistic suicide. I've got my own theory about it. What, what different theory do you have? Like, what, what, what's your thought on it? Well, it's slightly unpalatable, uh, but I did put this forward at the time um, when it was in the news. Um, because Paddock had no problems in his life, he, he had a lot on the horizon, and he was successful, and he had a relationship, and he wasn't an outsider, and he was not angry. He didn't tick the boxes that most mass shooters do. Um, my theory was that he was trying it for his own amusement. Um, and I think there were a couple of bits of evidence that maybe support this theory. Um, we have to acknowledge firstly that, that the Mandalay Bay location was not his original location. He'd been at another hotel in the north of Las Vegas, the Ogden Hotel, for the weekend prior. Um, and there was a festival um, in North Las Vegas, um, the Life is Beautiful Festival. And I genuinely believe he was planning on attacking that festival, changed his mind, and then moved it to the Route 91 Festival a week later. And if we look at the, the, the fact that he smuggled um, dozens of guns and ammunition into his room, I think he was treating this as a sort of for want of a better phrase, a sort of, 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 of shooting buffet. He was wanting to shoot other people for fun, for his amusement, and maybe enjoy the pleasure of trying different weaponry and different guns. Um, and and I, I refer back to um, Richard Connell's book from the 1920s, The Most Dangerous Game. And this was quoted, we think, by the Soviet um, serial murderer in one of his ciphers, where he said that he enjoys killing because man is the most dangerous game. And the book, The Most Dangerous Game, is about a rich, wealthy man who hunts down individuals for sport. And I think the parallels with Paddock there are quite quite obvious. Well, other countries, such as the UK, we have a very simplistic view um, we, quite wrongly, I think, 
blame it all on access to guns. I think that's a gross oversimplification, but our media, whenever they report on large casualty American killings in the US, will refer back to access to guns or levels of gun ownership. And I think that's a gross oversimplification. So in many other countries, we can include Canada here, and we can include Australia, gun ownership, there are many different ways you can measure it, but gun ownership in other countries is just the same as the US, but they don't have as many sprees as the US has. So it isn't just about gun ownership. And we do know that there's massive variation in, in access to guns and gun laws in different states and different laws and things like access to carry and conceal carry and stand your ground. Um, and those things do feed into it. Those things are important, um, particularly when we look at laws forbidding guns within, say, a thousand feet of schools and, and campuses. That thing does have, a, have an impact. But personally, I think fundamentally there is something to do with the attitude to what the gun is and what the gun can do. Um, and again, apologies if this is an oversimplification, but we very much believe that the US was founded on the gun in a way that, say, Canada was not or Australia was not. Um, and I think that that, that that association between anger and getting your way and firearms is something that's deeply ingrained in a lot of the American psyche. Um, and we don't see that in other cultures, which I think is why we see fewer sprees. And I know that the gun laws are very complicated. And if we take the example of California, I think the Giffords Law Center time and time again says that California has probably got the most strict gun laws of any of the states, yet it has one of the highest levels of mass shooting. <laughs> And this is because, of course, the guns that are used in California are often bought in neighboring states where the gun laws are not as strict. So it is much more complicated than just access to guns. Uh, and I think we sometimes forget that in countries outside of the U.S., that there might be more of a psychological reason going on in the background culturally and historically. So, so actually tightening up on the gun laws won't necessarily help? Uh, no, it won't. Um, over here in the UK, I mean, it, it will help to a point, but it certainly won't eradicate mass shootings. Um, over here in the UK and in Europe, our gun laws are, are, are much more strict, you can say, and ownership of firearms is a lot less than it is in the US. Um, but we still have mass shootings. We had a, a mass shooting a couple of weeks, uh, sorry, a mass stabbing a couple of weeks ago in Paris and a mass stabbing um, a in Manchester and I think in the news today there was a mass shooting in Russia where someone in the military shot and killed eight colleagues so even in countries where you have very tough gun laws mass shootings will occur and even if you could somehow magically hoover up all the guns and all the ammunition you would still have mass killings people will stab each other people will use sharps people will use toxins um, there was a case in Cologne in Germany in the 1950s where a, 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 a killer went on a rampage at a school and he used a homemade flamethrower and a homemade spear and a homemade mace to attack children in a school. So even without firearms, other weapons will be used because what we're essentially looking at are, are individuals who believe they have the right to kill others 
to prove their point, their anger towards society. So focusing on gun laws is a little bit of a red herring. Now, do you think there's an answer to having um, so many mass shootings? Is there, what do you think is it that we can do? Um, well, very interestingly, I, I saw recently that the uh, that um, there were some attempts to come up with proposed suggestions to make mass shootings less likely. Um, one of which was an increased focus on mental health. Another aspect was to use uh, more tip-offs to focus on more student surveillance. And interestingly, another part of this package was to have more um, mass shooting exercises and duck and cover exercises in schools. I don't think any of those measures will reduce mass killings. You know, if, if you increase the number of um, mass shooting exercises and drills in schools, that is not going to reduce the number of mass killings. Um, I think there are things that experts who know about mental health and experts who know about gun control suggest we can do, but it isn't about mental health, and that's one of the an, another of the big red herrings. It isn't about access to guns necessarily, but it's also not about mental health issues in the attacker. The majority of mass shooters do not have mental health problems. A minority of them do or have had mental health problems, but any mental health problems they've had in the past on the cause of their killing behavior, they're often the symptoms of their difficult circumstances that they've been in. So we often, we often tend to overfocus on whether they've got a history of depression or anxiety. And that is another misleading uh, element to focus on. Hi, Craig, it's Julie. I just want to ask, from your research um, and some of those, as you rightly said, those uh, false, um, where we group individuals together and say, well, these people are maybe more at risk of performing a, a particular crime. And, you know, you've rightly kind of quashed the, um, that theory. But in terms of looking at the research, have you, have you developed any similarities or, um, yeah, just similar, either in, in nature nurture debate or in people's background that you can share? Yeah, I think that's a really, really good question. I'm glad you've asked that. Um, in psychology and psychopathology, we often focus an awful lot on serial killers and serial murderers, and you know the idea that they have a commonality in their background. And when you think about serial murder, serial murderers commit serial murder for a variety of reasons. Some do it for sexually sadistic reasons. Some do it for power and control. Others may commit serial murder in furtherance of money or property. Um, but when we look at mass murders and mass killers, you don't have a whole variety of motives as you do with serial murderers. So what I would say is that, that mass killers are actually more homogenous as a group than serial murderers are. And I think there is more evidence of a particular mass killer profile than there is of let's say, having a profile of serial murderers. So I think as, as a group goes, mass killers tend to commit mass killings for pretty much the same reason. They're very angry, they're very disaffected, and they 
often want to get revenge on a community and the best way to do that is to kill innocent people. But the biggest factor I've found in the background in most cases I've studied is a very high level of narcissism. And these are individuals who throughout their development and their background, their life, have developed high levels of narcissistic personality. And I could give you a list of narcissistic behaviors, what I sort of call the cardinal ingredients of, of mass shooters. And many of them will have these narcissistic behaviors and traits and tendencies. So it's not about mental health, it's about personality. And that's the big difference that I think helps us spot the behavioral or personality warning signs in individuals who are likely to commit this kind of offense. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. And so, if we go back to one of your previous um, quotes where you were talking about the difference 
so uh, not that long ago really just a few decades ago where people would they would commit a crime and then you know suicide by a cop kind of scenario to now both both kind of fall into that narcissistic realm so what what, why the progression do you think to less people wanting to die at the scene and and more people wanting that kind of trial and and um and popularity I think there's been a, a number of landmark cases where um, some mass killers have received great publicity and have been perceived as heroes and they've been essentially have developed a fan base. I mean, if we look at the um, massacre in Utøya uh, in Norway by Anders Breivik, where he killed almost 100 people, particularly young people, he allowed himself to be captured. And um, not only did he have to have a trial, but he got public, he got um, press interest in his manifesto. So he'd written a very long, rambling manifesto all about how he believed Europe, in particular his country, Norway, was going to be overwhelmed by people from Arabic and Muslim countries. And he felt that he had to conduct this this mass killing in order to protect future generations from what he saw as an Islamic invasion. And he was able to get his ideological and theoretical point across and have journalists and documentary makers interested in his manifesto and his thoughts. Um, And I think when that happened, the amount of coverage Brevik got from that and a lot of what I would say is irresponsible reporting of Brevik and, and his case, that then led to other mass shooters realizing that this is a great way to get attention and, and uh, it's mike here um i just wanted to ask you uh, about that attention and sites like 4chan and 8chan and now there are groups of groups of these people getting together we saw this in the new zealand the example in new zealand yeah and and i um, you can trace this back to to the columbine shooting with Klebold and harris the disturbingly large fan base that these two dead mass killers have accrued, the amount of fan fiction, the amount of hero worship that their memory has received that that constantly generates internet chatter and content and memes. It's quite worrying, but again, I, I think this is also down to how the Columbine shooting was reported badly. You know, there was a lot of footage of them beforehand there was reporting which kind of blamed the high school system as being responsible for what they did. A lot of that very irresponsible reporting, I think, led to them being perceived as heroes and anti-heroes for disaffected youth in the same way that, that Brevik's shooting in Norway was misreported and led to him being seen as a hero by many. And I think this is why it's really important that we acknowledge that mass killings do have a contagion effect. Lots of epidemiological research can show that when an index mass killing event occurs, within four or seven or 12 days, you will see copycats where other people will be influenced into undertaking a spree that perhaps they fantasized and thought about for a long time, but get the courage to do it or the incentive to do it by seeing it being reported irresponsibly elsewhere. So I'm not saying that, that, that individual innocent people watch mass killings on the news and suddenly decide they're going to pick up a gun. 
but people who've thought about it and fantasized it for a while will be motivated into to taking their actions into reality by responsible reporting. And mm-hmm. I think with rolling news and 24-7 news and internet content, we have seen more irresponsible news coverage, which has then led to more contagion sprees. Um, I think it, 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 it works more on, individual, on an individual basis. Um, I'll give you a very good example. In, in, uh, in the UK, in 1987, on the, the 19th of August, we had the, the Hungerford mass killing by um, a young chap called Michael Ryan. Yeah. And um, essentially, it, it looked like it was a, he, he wasn't planning a spree. He didn't have a grudge against society, but it looks like he committed a possible minor sexual offence and he panicked and killed an individual. And it looks like this individual tried to get away and flee the scene and fake his own death. And when that didn't go to plan, he then went on a killing spree. He got his guns and he began shooting the neighborhood and he killed 15 people and injured 16 more. Um, he wasn't planning on a spree. He was in the middle of a, of, of, of a panicky moment. He made a bad decision. But what was very interesting is that 10 days earlier, before, before the Hungerford Massacre, there had been a spree in, in Melbourne um, by a former soldier called Julian Knight. And he'd gone on a very similar rampage using combat gear and dressed like a sort of military figure. Um, that had occurred 10 days before Michael Ryan undertook his spree. And in a moment of panic, he somehow thought that, that a, a killing spree is his way out of this scenario. And that's one example where this wasn't even an individual who had been fantasizing or stockpiling weaponry or planning it or who had a grudge against society. It was a spontaneous influence. Countless other sprees, the, the Port Arthur massacre in, in um, Tasmania, uh, an extremely high count of fatalities in that, in that massacre, when Bryant, Martin Bryant, the, the attacker, was taken alive at the end, asked why he did it. He said, I wanted to beat the record of that Dunblane guy referring to the Dunblane mass shooting in Scotland a few weeks wow. earlier. So there are very clear references that, that people who think and fantasize about mass killings see other mass killings on their TV screen, and it gives them the impetus, the courage that they need to, to turn fantasy into reality. I was going to throw in, how come there's so many um, accusations of, the, of a lot of these mass shootings of being, that they're fake? that they're, they're not really, they're, they're a government set up. Yeah, this is something I'm only just trying to get my head around and understand as well. I'm sure it's tied into the whole idea about fake news, um, but certainly we saw with the Sandy Hook uh, shooting, the Connecticut shooting by Adam Lanza, that for me was the first large fatality mass shooting where I became aware of the term crisis actors and where a, a large number of individuals gather together online to try and accuse the system of perpetrating this, of there being no real deaths, of it being a, a huge government cover-up. I still struggle to understand how... Uh, we use the term conspiracy theorists for, for, for want of a better phrase, but I still struggle to see how individuals approach these tragic incidents 
with the belief that it's a cover-up and that these people are actors. And I've got to be absolutely honest, it's something that I can't even really comprehend to start researching. Research looking at people's believability and how much they trust or distrust the government and media and the authorities. But it's absolutely fascinating, an absolutely fascinating area, but it's not one I've been able to look into. Um, we, we, I certainly don't see it in other countries. When we have mass shootings in, in Europe um, or Australia, you don't get that same cry of it's a cover-up and these are crisis actors. It does seem to be peculiarly isolated to what's going on in the U.S. I'm not aware of any other large-scale shootings in other countries where um, the accusation of, of the accusation of crisis actors and, and fakers come about. So I think it could be a particularly unique problem for the U.S. Yeah, it could be combined with, uh, you know, this, the fear of, of gun control or taking away the guns, and and it could be something that they're just um, using. Yeah. Uh, you yes, you're right. It could be another weapon in that, that larger debate about gun ownership and, and freedom. Absolutely, yeah. A, a dirty trick uh, that, you know, uh, it's a sucker punch in that debate. So do you think we need to worry about more of these mass shootings? Because the, the, the numbers are going up. Yes, you're right. And they're becoming, you know, bigger and more of them. Um, is this kind of the new way that we're going to have to live? Um, it is if you don't change things. I mean, one thing that... that you know, I know there's a lot of cynicism in, in the U.S. when there's a large-scale mass shooting and, and people get very cynical about thoughts and prayers and people, citizens, children, quite rightly demand changes to gun laws and gun control. Over in the U.K., um, where we hardly have any mass killings, if we have one every 15 years, that, that, that's seen as, as, as bad. But when we had the Hungerford mass shooting that I mentioned in 1987, Within a year, we had an amendment to our Firearms Act, which banned essentially assault rifles, Kalashnikovs and AK-47s, because that was the gun of choice used by Michael Ryan. So within a year, that type of weapon was completely outlawed. In 1996, we had the Dunblane shooting, where a, a chap, Thomas Hamilton, used handguns to uh, kill uh, just over a dozen children and a teacher in a primary school. Within a year, handguns were then banned in the UK. So we do have possibly the most strict firearms laws in the world. But it shows that even after one isolated incident, changes can be made to the law if, if the people will it. Um, and I think in, in the US, of course, you still have the problems of, of assault rifles and AR-15s. Um, and we know that that has increased fatalities and injuries in mass killings. One other factor, of course, is that, that, that mass killings do occur more closely together. The, the, the days between large casualty mass shootings get smaller and smaller, and the number of fatalities gets larger and larger because of AR-15s and high-capacity magazines. Um, and I think there was that period, wasn't there? There was a, a period where assault rifles uh, were were uh, effectively outlawed, and you did see a small dip in the fatality rates and the fatality injury ratio in mass killings. So, the the uh, essentially, if you are an angry individual and you want to kill people in a community, you know that the AR-15 is a is your go-to weapon. 
and I know very interestingly that that um, um, one of the manufacturers of AR-15s announced a couple of weeks ago that they were no longer going to make AR-15s to sell, and a lot of people thought that that was a very moral decision to make and a very brave, principled decision to make. But of course, it became very apparent that the reason why no new AR-15s need to be manufactured is that the market is already flooded and there are plenty of used AR-15s available. So it wasn't the principal moral decision made by the, the armament company, but there's no market for new AR-15s because the market is flooded with them already. But certainly high-capacity magazines and having access to, a, to AR-15s and semi-automatic weapons is, is the big immediate issue I think that needs to be tackled. Yeah, yeah, I think a lot of people agree with that. Um, wow, well, this is quite a, uh, a subject. Um, now, you do lectures, and you, you have a little podcast that you do on, on these sort of things. Um, let's, let's give out that to the listeners, so uh, people that are interested in um, this kind of a, a subject, um, how do they get a hold of your podcast? Um, well, like most, most, um, most podcasts, people say you can get them from your usual podcast provider um so itunes and spotify but i think if you if you go to um i need to think this off the top of my head if you go to your great oh no, if you go to sorry crazy professor that's all one word crazy professor.buzzsprout.com um you can find it there that's where i usually send my students to crazy professor.buzzsprout.com but I think if you just type your crazy professor into iTunes, it should hopefully come up. Um, but yeah, <laughs> podcasts are a great way, great way for teaching students because mass killing cases can be very narrative and there's a lot of details. It's a great way of just redirecting students to go and find out what actually happened in a case. So that they're they're quite a valuable learning tool in this particular area. Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty basic. Um, and do you have a personal website that you like people to have? Do um, uh, uh, I? No, not nothing that anyone would be bothered about. There's a page with lots of lectures and papers, but I don't think anybody would want to see it. But if you look for me on Google, if you look for Professor Craig Jackson on Google, you can usually find plenty of stuff that you might need. Um, but I think if if it's a very long-winded web address, um, shall I give it mm. to you? Well, actually, what we'll do is we'll post it on our website. Even better. And then people can, yeah, they can just click and see it. And then, of course, if they want to find you, they can just type in crazy. Easily professor. findable on Google. Yeah, it's dead easy to find me. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, fantastic. Well, Craig, thank you very much for taking the time and talking a little bit about mass and spree killings with us today. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you very much for having me along. Thank you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. 
Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.